Welcome to Built for Life, the podcast dedicated to socially conscious property professionals who believe the future can be better than the present and your property decisions make it so. So to all of the innovators, this podcast will give you behind the scenes access to industry leading experts and researchers on how they think, create, analyze and deliver the best buildings in the world extracting their key advice, information, and considerations that you can apply to your personal and professional life. This is Adam Hines with my co-host, Jordan Ralph. Welcome to the Built for Life podcast. Welcome to another episode of the Built for Life podcast. And today we are at episode three of the three-part mini-series in partnership with Eckist called Building in Health and Wellbeing, a how-to. And it has been an absolutely fantastic mini-series investigating the technical aspects which influence occupant health and well-being from, I suppose, master planning through to design right through to the operation of a building. And that is exactly what we are diving deep into today with our fabulous guest, Jade Layton from Eckist, uh, who is a health and well-being consultant, also a qualified nutritional therapist, lifestyle medicine practitioner, and also the founder of the Holistic Health Method. So Jade, a huge welcome to the show. Thank you very much for having me. You are very, very welcome. Jordan, would you like to say welcome or would you like to sit quietly in the background? (laughs) I'm going to sit quietly because we always mess this bit up and we always talk over each other. So I was going to do a welcome after you'd stop talking, but I can say welcome. Jade, welcome. Jump in later and surprise everyone that you're here. Yeah, what? We, we have done this so many times that we just balls up the, the, the welcome. So, well, it's, welcome. it's a challenge doing this over over the power of the internet without being there. So I'm doing a pretty good job. Yeah, well, thanks. So uh, let's get this party started, Jade. And I'd like to start uh, with you by rewinding the clock to understand a bit more about you and how you have, um, I suppose, transitioned from nutritional therapy to driving property innovation at Eckist? (laughs) Yes, it's a very good question. And actually, it's even more of a transition because although I'm a qualified nutritional therapist and lifestyle medicine practitioner, my um, sort of the, the gist of my career background is in client services in the advertising industry so um, and that's what I was doing up until March this year so the the transition to Eckist has been one that's kind of carried me over the last six or seven months Um, and I'm very lucky (laughs) in many respects about how it all fell together Um, and actually I have Covid to thank a little bit because um, I actually know Olga from school. So Olga and I uh, went to college together. Yes. Um, But she was in the year above me. And although we boarded on the same corridor um, and we knew each other, we didn't really sort of stay in touch after school. So it just so happened that she was following my Instagram for the holistic health method, where I kind of share all of my nutrition and lifestyle medicine kind of insights and um, I was unemployed for a period uh, at the beginning of lockdown and she contacted me going you literally do what I do but but with people and I do it with buildings (laughs) so um, 
yeah it all kind of fell together quite naturally um and and really as far as i'm concerned it's kind of the perfect match because Eckes has the experience in focusing on the environment the built environment thinking about what ingredients need to go into that to create a healthy building and i have the experience in in encouraging changes in human behavior towards optimum health so i'm used to working with the individual and she's used to working with the developer and and therefore it's kind of quite harmonious that now i'm running the operational side of things and i'm really there just kind of constantly reminding people that they need to think about the occupants of their buildings above and beyond anything else and it's all very well putting together a healthy building but if you're not going to maintain that if you're not going to continue to operate it in a healthy way then what's the point that sounds very very interesting how you're you you became connected um i was just making me smile just thinking at how different your meeting was um between you two and your experience of knowing each other compared to adam and i is what we spoke about before this call which is um which is making me smile so now it's we, don't, we don't need to go there we're not we're not going to go there but that was a lovely story that's, that's how... another time that's a behind the scenes episode isn't it yeah yeah that's a bts that's a bts the, that's the director's uh, cut episode pay extra for that but no i think it's amazing also having that um vision between the two and it is so important to look at that holistic approach so totally. your... and, and also just just I don't know if if um, Olga or Karen have covered it, but Ekist, the, the name for Ekist comes from the, the practice of Ekistics, which is the science of human settlements. And that science of human settlements is, has never just been about considering the design of dwelling cities, communities. It's very much about kind of. <laughs> Uh, human psychology anthropology culture and and all of those things that go into it so really it makes sense to kind of join the dots right from you know Karen's experience as an architect all the way through to mine no and that sounds very interesting in terms of go on no sorry I'm sorry to sorry to butt in shove you to the side but um, I'm just curious coming from an alternative industry into property there was one sentence you said where you encourage changes in human behavior mm. and at a very high level have you seen from your experiences from what you've witnessed in in different building environments does the building environment from your perspective have a, a significant impact on how people actually behave absolutely so it absolutely does but there's always a point there's a threshold at which it, it can't do anymore so one of the most obvious things that encourages our behavior or the way that we act within our home or our workplace or wherever it might be is how it's set up right how it's designed so if you even us all working from home now if one of us has an office our behavior our psychology our mental health about being able to use that room exclusively for work and another room exclusively for 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 leisure um benefit us more than the person who is crammed into their bedroom working and feeling this kind of you know this looming sense of being trapped in one room having to kind of do everything in a small space and so that that 
influences not only your behavior but but your psychology another thing is if you were in a swanky office or a swanky um apartment block that had a gym and a pool and all of these amenities at your fingertips you are more likely to use those amenities than if you don't have them so it, they, it is it is very much it does come hand in hand but obviously there are people who are never going to use those amenities even if they're provided them because it's not what they're interested in or they haven't been educated enough into why they should be using them so that that's kind of I'd say that the area the nuance where operations come in and and there should always be a kind of an educational element of the operations what Which, I really like about that is the the educational aspect isn't just for the end user it's also for the design team for them yeah. to understand why they are designing something because you we, we come across this quite regularly where where let's say an architect might just to put in amenity space and a gym but they would only they wouldn't truly understand why they're doing mm -hmm. it it's just because that's what's usually done um and that's just the standard that they oh we've got some space there we'll put in a gym but there's no i suppose there's a, a, a lack or a shortage of understanding as to why and then how that then translates to educating the end user to ensure that they are then getting that lifestyle benefit from it. Totally. And what, what I would say on that is that and this is probably a sweeping statement, but in my and this is coming from obviously fresh into this industry. In my opinion, up until very recently, health and well-being has been something that might have been considered a little bit fluffy or a nice add-on, um, you know, a nice to have. And hopefully this year has made people realize that health is the number one kind of source of wealth. It is our absolute foundation if we don't have our health then we've got nothing left there's you know our, our lives are going to be poor quality so it's um it's hopefully in that shift towards the realization that health and well-being needs to be at the at the center of kind of infrastructure um design you know new ideas not just across the property industry but across all, all industries that people will start to understand that they need to think more about the purpose for that gym being in the building. And Jade, on, on, that probably brings quite nicely onto the account as to how things have just changed so dramatically, even in the last last four months, um, as a result of, of, of what's what's happening. And you're saying about health is wealth, and we're recognising that. Is that yeah? That's so true, in that we can't. We can't. The economy is obviously suffering because of, of impacts to people's health at the minute, and there's a massive challenge as to how much that's that's released. That's a, a whole a whole obviously different different discussion. But from from your side in in Ekist and the uh, operational side of the business that you look after in, in terms of the advice you give to clients, what can you give us a, like an overview, high level, as to how you would consider the operational aspects in the building for better health and well-being? Absolutely. Um... It's a good question. It, it's um, it's also an interesting question because uh, often people will see operations as something that are added kind of late in the process. So if you take the 
our IBA stages you know they might start to think about it at stage six or seven um, but the reality is is that right from the planning stages of the building operations need to be considered because they come hand in hand as I said before with space with amenities mm-hmm. it's all very well and good getting to kind of six months before launch of a project or before the, the completion of a building and going we're going to offer a health and well-being, you know, package or we're going to give them weekly classes, weekly yoga classes, for example. Well, you're not if you haven't got a yoga studio, you know, and yeah. um, and 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 it seems really obvious. But quite honestly, it happens time and time again that we might we might have a, a almost completed building that comes to us and goes, how can we do health and well-being? Yeah. And it's like, well, of course, there's always something that can be done. But if you really want health and well-being to kind of infiltrate every pore of this building, of this project, then you have to think about the the operational side of things. So that will look at really basic things like policies, you know, um, how you are going to be cleaning your building. What are your waste management policies? Are you going to have a recycling policy? Are you going to promote the use of, you know, composting? Are you going to provide community initiatives are going to support your own staff the building staff as well as the occupants or you know are you going to have great maternity or paternity leave because you are a developer who truly believes um, in human health and well-being and looking after people are you going to have mental health education so there's it, it really goes a lot further than you might originally think um and it and obviously there's it depends on how much that developer wants to do and how much money they want to invest long term in how the building is operated because unlike you know some of the things that come in in the construction stages this really operations has to be ongoing sort of Mm. ad infinitum you know if you're going if you're going to provide a healthy cafe you need to be providing great quality sustainable fruit and veg you know good quality meat things like that every single day you can't you can't start off with that idea and then year in decide actually you can't afford it so this is this is another reason why all of these things need to be considered up front because obviously they come with a cost attached um and then other things like well i'm talking about cafes commercial kitchens if you want to have an F&B offering in your building and you need a commercial kitchen, then you need to ensure that you're safely extracting the fumes and that you have a, a policy for maintaining the temperature of that kitchen and all of that kind of stuff, along with um, having kind of emergency resource plans. Obviously, COVID has given us a real kick up the bum in terms of being like we need to be prepared for natural disasters for for viruses for those kind of things and and your building needs to be prepared for that so it really is quite all-encompassing it can range from all sorts of things and and obviously you have the basic stuff like exercise classes Mm. and things like that as well um but yeah it depends on the building it depends on the use class and how far the developer wants to take it. 
it's interesting because when we spoke with with Olga in in episode two, we were we were talking, and, and Adam and I say this a lot, that, that buildings seem to be considered typically is that as soon as it's handed over and it's complete and it's it's now being run, that's kind of when the services of the consultants and the team end, and all yeah. they think about is let's just create a building and as soon as it's finished, we move on to the next one. But actually, we're creating something that's got an operational lifespan that needs to work within that so we should be focusing our attention on how does it work not just to get it built and I think that's where we've seen a mindset shift in our own business is to say well let's think about exactly what you've said that those those operational budgets are actually more important than the construction budget because often the, the the operational expenditure is is phenomenal over the life cycle of a building compared to the cost of actually building it and yeah they're some of the things that we really recognize and understand and just how little thought that has gone through and Adam and I've had experience in in managing um, the delivery of assets that are uh, on long institutional leases and and even the operational budget is considered really just as a oh we we better sort that out and we we better think about the strategy but no real thought has gone into that as to how that's actually going to create a better environment so it's it is really interesting I'm going to go segue a little bit and probably jump about and I'm sure Mr. Hines is going to roll his eyes, but the um, eyes are currently being rolled. Yeah, <laughs> glad there's no cameras on. The I'm interested to know about like some of the errors that you see because I think that's an important way of like understanding just how wrong it can be. Have you got any kind of examples where you see that design teams or clients even that that just don't consider these things early enough and then are impacted? Is there anything you've seen recently? Uh, well. Yeah, I mean, on a broad level, uh, I, I've kind of covered most of those things already in terms of the, the the kind of classic errors that are made. You know, the first one primarily being that, you know, believing that health and well-being in terms of an operational side is just an add-on, a fluffy extra. You know, it's a nice to have. And if they make a healthy building that's got great air quality and uh, there's lots of wood and healthy materials and stuff, then surely that's the most important thing. Um, I, I mean, this is why I think that my background is really helpful in in um, my role at ECIS because. My focus is so specifically on the individual. You know, I have four years of training, understanding at a cellular level how our environments, um, all of those external stresses impact our health and how our bodies function and how our minds function. That I do find that frustrating because I'm like, why are you building? Why are you creating this building in the first place? Because if you're not creating this building to provide a healthy, lovely, comfortable and inviting environment for occupants, then (laughs) there's something that's gone awry. And if you are creating it for that reason, then surely you should consider the long term lifespan of that building and how those people are going to be living in it year in, year out. So, yeah, like you say, it's 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 not thinking of it at the early stages, thinking of it as just an add on, forgetting that they need to allow enough space for these amenities um, and not realising how much of a long term investment it is um, in terms of from a, something that obviously 
I'm sure Olga's covered, we do quite a lot of uh, well building standard certification at ECHIST. And um, it's a huge amount of well is policy based, is operation based. In fact, I'd say mm -hmm. at least half of it, at least half of the points that you can get in achieving the well building standard is based on how you operate the building and, and what um, what added extras you provide and how you look after your staff as well as your occupants. So but for a lot of that, the requirements are, you know, that there's building staff on site at all times because in the event of an emergency, you need somebody there in the event of somebody, you know, having a substance use overdose you need somebody there you might want to provide them with the right ergonomic furniture to work to work with within the building as well as considering what community initiatives you offer for the residents so that can be troubling if somebody comes to you at the end of a project and goes we want to certify this building because you're like well, well that's fine, but if you don't have the space, if you don't have located on site uh, a kitchen or a place where they can have their lunch that's away from their desks and all of this kind of stuff, it's really, yeah. really hard to achieve. So again, I think that comes with the notion that people think they're doing health and well-being because they've got yoga classes or um they've got a really healthy cafe but there's just so much more involved and if somebody came to you with with that kind of setup you'd be like cool you can get two points <laughs> out of yeah. the, uh, out of the 110 or whatever it is on the well building standard for those <laughs> two things that you offer because there's just so much more to it and i think it's why you know the likes of you guys and the likes of ekist are, are really important in helping developers advising developers in in how to really truly do health and well-being i'd like to pick up on the considerations at an early stage if we could sort of split the next sort of line of questioning into early stage of design so stage zero one two three what sort of things would you from a from outside from your sort of outside experience looking into the design process what sort of things do you see that would add the best sort of value that people should be considering that they may be considering now but the, or they may not at, at that sort of earlier design stage do you want to give me a use class adam because <laughs> i think it's quite different for residential I, versus commercial. Can I be horrible and say, what if we were doing like a master plan strategy for mixed use? So if it was, is that permitted or would you yeah, like yeah. me to pick one? Yeah, okay, no, so let's fine. say we're doing, we're doing a new master plan strategy for say a, a new village. So you're going to have a mix of homes. We're looking at, um, I don't know, putting in doctor surgeries, um, food shops. Uh, okay, so the types of amenities that you're going to be providing um, are obviously really important um, and that's a really sort of easy win if you're creating a master plan because you want to have um, accessibility to fresh fruit and veg every single day within walking distance that's a given you want to have 
lots of cycling routes um, and cycle storage and optimum cycle storage and a probably a a, a tool shed or you know um, even somebody who can fix your bike you would I'd like to see um, some kind of whether it's indoor outdoor exercise facility so even mm -hmm. if it's an outdoor gym if it's not it's indoor um, if you can have some kind of restorative space so not necessarily just a studio but somewhere that's more um, set up for mindfulness uh, meditation quiet time you know relaxation um, but I think and 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 if you want to provide restaurants you want to be thinking about the quality of the food that they're providing um, but but I think also from a, at a more macro level something that should be considered above all else at master planning level is loneliness and the reason why I say this is because uh, obviously we've gone through a pandemic this year we're still going through it but yeah. lonely, loneliness is an epidemic in the UK there are well believed to be over nine million people who are suffering from loneliness and that's that's around a fifth of our population wow yeah so it's really significant and um the government are, are making steps towards kind of combating this um since the 29 2018 joe cox loneliness study they've been trying to um put in some initiatives that can help you know a network of employers committing committed to tackling loneliness funding for community initiatives let's talk loneliness campaigns etc but in my opinion the people who have the most power to, su to support or to kind of combat loneliness are developers uh, because ultimately people are experiencing loneliness if they are living at home on their own they move to a new area or a new community they don't know anyone and um, obviously in times of COVID it's even more extreme because we don't have the ability to go out to other places to meet people we are stuck in our homes and it could be for, for many years um, and if it's not COVID what will be the next thing so I think community spaces are really really important just like and just to hammer home actually that, that I read a really interesting stat about loneliness in terms of how it affects your health because obviously we think loneliness is a, is a mental health concern mm. but it's also a physical health concern because the biochemical experience that we're having when we're lonely is one of stress we're, we're in our fight or flight response and loneliness long term then leads to chronic stress and chronic stress is is inflammatory on the body it leads to metabolic syndrome it leads to an increased risk of cardiovascular disease um, of all kinds of you know diabetes and, and metabolic diseases as well as obesity and other issues so because of this, because of the effect that loneliness has on, on our health, on our, on our cells, um, it's considered to reduce lifespan in the same way that would be caused by smoking 15 cigarettes a day. So for wow. me, yeah, 
Yeah, it's amazing. It, uh, it is. It is amazing. But also, there's another study that showed in 2006 um, there were 3,000 nurses that had breast cancer, and they were studied based on their survival rates. Um, the results of the research showed that women without close friends were four times more likely to die than women with 10 or more friends. So that's actually to do with relationships as well and having a support Mm. network. Um, So so that's what I'd say. I say if somebody's going into master planning now, yes, yes, I think people understand that people need space to exercise. They need good quality food. Um, They need good quality light and hopefully enough access to nature and outdoor space but they also need to be encouraged to interact. And you can't encourage people to interact if you don't give them the space and the means to do so. So whether that's community centers, whether that's um, even just making balconies communal or communal gardens or having bigger entrance lobbies where people can meet, or there's sort of work from home spaces on the bottom floor of a, of a residence, you know, where, where people can work together, um, you know, sort of tiny co-working spaces, whatever it is, I think you need to allow that space in those very initial planning stages with a view to much later down the line, then being able to put on charity events, meet and greets, you know, charity runs, bake sales, workshops whatever it is like you want to be bringing people together that is such a huge point that you've just underscored um so well and i'd like to add something that we've actually been looking at and i think is a, is a huge area that's sort of overlooked um in the built environment sector in that we did a control group study um and we were specifically looking at what well, I suppose built environment aspects were the had the strongest association with better quality of life, mm-hmm. um, and we we're looking at literally every single aspect of a building and how does that influence people's health and well-being, and which one of these is the most important for a better quality of life. And from our data, the strongest built environment aspect was actually connection to community and connection to neighbours. Yeah. And that's exactly what you've just underscored and um, and slam dunked, basically, by just saying that that social connection, that sense of belonging and, and feeling a part of a community is crucial for people's um, quality of life, their health and their, their mental well-being as well. Um, and I, I couldn't agree more that that's definitely something that's overlooked or probably misunderstood um, through the design phase and and probably underappreciated how important it is so I I couldn't agree more with what you've said there it's also considering different types of people you know different socioeconomic status the kind of people that need more connection than others you know I think it's very easy for for people to get bogged down in what they have if somebody has a happy family and they have lots of friends they might not be thinking that the most important thing to do is to create lots of communal areas they might be thinking oh well we want a nice private garden and this that and the other and you know no one wants to have awkward chats with their neighbors but 
but, but this is what you need to consider always when you're thinking about the health of individuals is that everybody is different everybody has different needs and essentially the stats show that if one-fifth of our population is lonely something significant needs to be done about it um and and where do we spend most of our time in our in our homes in in the buildings that we we belong to yeah it's it's so important and it's quite a scary statistic when you put it away put it in that sense that one fifth are lonely and we know the implications of that from both a mental well-being and physical health perspective are super super detrimental um, yeah and also i just uh, sorry to hammer this home but this is obviously what i'm passionate about um if you think about the current year that we're living in chronic stress which is caused by loneliness among many other factors has a significant detriment on our immune system it wreaks havoc on our immune system and it it basically just weakens it to the point that we 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 don't have the immunity that we need to fight things like covid or any other virus or any other illness that that might um we might fall under so i think it's, it's it's immune health as well we need to be considering and there's stats to show that even people if they're lonely when they're young for many years you know they're under that kind of chronic stress um in their in their younger years long term as they grow older and their immune systems naturally weaken their immune systems will weaken even more because they've been under such chronic stress um in previous years so think about how it affects old people as well and you think loneliness typically impacts affects old people but actually stats show that young people are massively experiencing loneliness these days mm. even look at people at university and how that's changed since we were at university um you know 10 10 odd years ago when I was at uni you were just out the whole time with people but actually, in some ways, because it was so associated with drinking and doing unhealthy things, now it's it's there's kind of a really weird dichotomy between health and well-being. So people are staying at home and people aren't drinking, people aren't going out and doing all that stuff. But instead, they're, they're on social media. They're not having real connections. They're not getting the oxytocin that they need. And in turn, they're experiencing loneliness. So they might not be drinking or smoking, but their body's going under the having the same stresses that if they were. So it's all very interesting. Yeah, and it's actually interesting because there was an article yesterday about, unfortunately, about a student who had been suffering during this new lockdown period where they were. I think it was up up north somewhere, northwest. Um, and that's just, that's a, a big part. Um, weirdly enough, it, it wasn't the, the term loneliness that got Adam and I thinking about what we're doing, but it was certainly from a university perspective in the, a scheme we were working on that the operational uh, head and head of pastoral care said we've got concerns about student well-being yeah. um, and the way in which the, they were using the building and the change of student um I suppose lifestyles, as you Behavior said. Behaviour as well. Yeah, drinking is a massive thing that's that's, that's reduced in in new students and young people especially and just said we're concerned at just how many studios you've got in this block because that's not promoting any interaction at all as people go in behind their door close it and don't see anyone until lectures and especially of what's happening now no one 
no one's really leaving their room so it's yeah and think that's a classic example of somebody who's been completely rerouted they've got they might have gone to the other side of the country to study um they're experiencing something completely different to anything that they've ever experienced before and i don't know about you guys but honestly like social connection absolutely got me through university it was the best part about it you know making all of those friends having all of that fun and it's it's why it's why most people went to uni so it's it's really kind of troubling that in that time when you're kind of you're maturing you need to kind of develop your your mental I don't know stamina resilience and all of those things you're you're being isolated um and you're trying to find yourself aren't you and how can you find yourself you're closed you're behind a closed door on your own mm. yeah it's it, it, when you when you start you know drawing those other factors into it and just actually start dissecting what that means it is it is phenomenal and that, and that then translates to how do you obviously there's a design aspect and there's a there's a whole piece around how do you change the, the design but then in, in what you look at is how do we actually create these these spaces that work efficiently for people to to, to be in and yeah recently, create the atmosphere as well yeah and it, I mean recently we've we've um just just talking to clients and, and different providers is just those properties and those environments that have prospered and those businesses that have prospered in the property sector have been those that have been geared around creating more flexible environments more inclusive environments than those that are, are quite static and um i think that's obviously been a big shift now as to why why the health and well-being i suppose aspect of, of property is really being considered because it, there is such a big case for actually it's needed to for the necessity of, of buildings to run and operate properly and efficiently and in by doing so you're still going to have i suppose attractive assets and adam and i have big advocates for how health and well-being translates to better operational performance and a better financial life cycle of a, of a property there's no there's no probably hiding for the fact that a building which promotes better end user health is going to be more attractive in the market yeah and exactly and they're going to stick around for longer or it's going to increase in value yeah absolutely um Jed, I'd like to um, shimmy into something you said on our call last week about collecting data and I suppose operational data from buildings and you coming from uh, the health and well-being background, that that world is just full of data. Everything is evidence-based. Anything to do with physical health or mental well-being, there is just so much evidence and academic research which has gone on that, that you can make pretty accurate decisions, whereas the property industry, there's almost none. It's, it's very, very limited. Yeah. Um, and it's something that we are obviously super passionate about, as you are, as trying to sort of capture that operational data to have a better understanding of how properties are truly performing in terms of the outcomes for the end user so how would you sort of um, I suppose recommend starting to capture that data and then using it in a in leveraging it to, to build better assets sure well um, it's interesting that you say that there's very limited data in the property industry do you think that that is a product of people not really doing many post-occupancy surveys not getting much 
you know, information once they've set their building up and just letting it run for itself because... 100%, yeah. Exactly. And I think that's really kind of, that sort of suggests where the where the black hole is because if you're operating your building effectively if you were really caring about the long-term health and well-being of your occupants then the absolute you know most important thing to be doing is open up a direct line of communication with your occupants allow them to educate you as much as you educate them allow them to remind you of the things that they need and give you an idea of how well you're doing and actually having residents or you know tenants or whoever it is in a building in a captive environment is an amazing way to capture data because so much of it's already controlled you you know you can get a huge amount of information about the people that you're surveying you know that they're all in the same space so you know that there's a few things that they're all doing the same and therefore um, if you're asking say for example it's a residential building and you're asking your residents um, if the quality of their, you know, if, if they had any health conditions that have improved in the last year since living in the building, um, has their, have they had many days, any, how many days off work have they had in that year? Um, do they suffer from any musculoskeletal disorders that might have been encouraged by poor ergonomics, visual and physical? Um, you know, how, how is, how does their diet look? this year in comparison to last year what other improvements have they been able to make to their health since living in this building all of those questions you can ask so easily and then yes you might not necessarily have lots of robust data at the beginning once you when you very first construct your building depend it depends you know what kind of information you're sourcing and who you're asking but definitely within a year post-occupancy your building should be a resource for kind of really rich and informative data that you can then use moving forwards if you're a developer who's making lots of you know working on lots of projects lots of sites you can always apply if you if you're applying certain formulas to to one building that's now in use you can take that data and apply it to another one you know, if you're if you're making the air quality to a certain yeah. level or whatever that is. But you've got people there and they're willing to talk to you. They want to talk to you because if they talk to you, you'll improve things for them. So that's a huge part of the operational recommendation that we give to everybody that we work with. Um, and also the well building standard do it, too. They have a requirement if you certify a building that you need to be monitoring that building for at least three years. You need to maintain your certification. Um, and that's getting all kinds of data from the quality of the air and the water and thermal comfort, you know, making sure that that's maintained to understanding how many exercise classes occupants are attending to, you know, getting more information on their musculoskeletal health and if they have any allergies that have improved etc etc that is perfectly well put we, we couldn't agree more and that i think 
the sentence you said that buildings are a resource for evidence is is amazing because the customers, the occupants hold the answers. Yeah. And we we as I suppose designers, design teams don't always have to have the answers and the solutions. They do. Um, and just by asking questions consistently, we can get them to give us the answers and better solutions than what we would probably come up with consistently. Yeah, um, and, and that comes with optimization as well, Adam. Exa- exactly right. And and just by doing that consistently, we can begin to, to build a picture of, uh, I suppose, better understanding of how assets perform and how they impact the, the end user who realistically is the customer. And then we can use that evidence to ensure that every single building that's designed and delivered is be- is going to perform better than the last because of the evidence-based decisions we've been making. And I, I love to hear that um, ha- how your approach to that is, how you guys are doing that and delivering it. And I couldn't agree more. That's that's such an important thing that is, I suppose, can be maximised th- across the industry. Totally. I think the, the, the funny thing is, is it's really not complicated. It's actually, it's a really simple thing to do just to set up post-occupancy surveys and stuff. It's just something that people are not thinking about. But ultimately, if you're investing in a healthy building and you're putting in the groundwork, then there's the, it's almost priority number one of the kind of evidence that you're going to want to capture to then move forward and continue to optimize as a business. So I think, um, yeah, it, it's, it's pretty obvious <laughs> in my opinion. Yeah. yeah. Jay, that has uh, been fantastic. We've actually come to the to the end of our line of questioning, so you, you can step <laughs> off the you can step off the hot seat now. You've done yeah. amazing, but you're off the hook. Is there? Do you have um, any last words of advice for the property industry around the operational aspects, or do you think you've um, you've you've emptied the the fuel tank with what you've said so far? Um, I think I just want to kind of end it on on something a bit broader which I saw recently in an article written by Norman Foster which was he feels that potentially developers are taking a big risk if they decide to not invest in health and well-being moving forwards and for me that really kind of symbolizes the shift that we've seen in the industry that's been heightened by this year that we've currently experiencing or have experienced is that you can't, you can't avoid it any longer. You have to make it a priority. You have to invest in it because you, if you don't have a healthy building in 10 years time, then it's going to be pretty worthless. Couldn't agree more. Yeah. Mic drop. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. But yeah. And, and operate them nicely as well, please. (laughs) Remember, just always think about the person that you're creating the building for. I mean, it's really simple, but it can get lost. Always think about the end user because customer is king. Love it. Love it. Jade, where can people uh, find, follow, get in contact with you? Um, well, if I, you can find me on LinkedIn, which I'm sure that you'll p- pop on the uh, the notes for this I will. episode. And obviously via Ekist. And um, if you're interested in more of the uh, nutritional therapy and lifestyle medicine one-to-one side of things um, you can find me at underscore jade layton on instagram which is my uh, page for the holistic health method 
Excellent. So I will put links to all of that in the uh, the show notes for everyone's benefit. But that has been an absolute pleasure. Well done. You hit that out of the park. Thank you so much for your time today. No worries. Thank you ever so Thank much you. for having me. Thank you, Jane. Lovely chatting. Thanks for listening to the Built for Life podcast. If you learned something new today or found value from hearing from a different property perspective, please comment on what you found useful as it helps us understand what you like and what you want to hear more of. And also please subscribe if you want more and most importantly, please share this video to the people in your network you believe will get the most value from the information as you are personally helping spread information and education across the industry. As they say, never doubt that a small group of thoughtful, committed citizens can change your world. And by you watching and sharing this, you are now part of that group. And just to finish, if you would like unlimited free access to the world's best research and resources related to health, well-being and the built environment, you can subscribe to the Life Proven Library where academic research reports and case studies are regularly added. They're then reviewed in detail and the key findings are extracted into easy to use dot points and also a brief summary video. So you don't even need to read the reports. All the heavy lifting has been done for you as you can just watch the summary. So just head to www.lifeproven.co.uk and click on the button library at the top of the page. And as always, if you have a project, an investment opportunity, or you are interested in a collaboration and would like to discuss directly, you can contact us at adam at lifeproven.co.uk.